Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. is how it's been pitched to us six awesome games though in the first round of the 2022 2023 playoffs we're about to go through them all with a stupidly early preview show hayden winks josh norris also at the end full playoff predictions maybe a little bit of best ball playoff strategy from him himself hayden winks let's jump into it buddy let's do it i mean i think how week 18 ended up and how we got to these playoffs gave us at least on paper a lot of really cool offenses and, and matchups against each other. In fact, I think all six of these teams have played each other at some point this season, which is an interesting wrinkle always when you look at these games. And yeah, we are doing this early. Some important injury notes as we go along, but we'll do our best. Here we go. First up, because it is the 430 window on Saturday. Seahawks at the 49ers, a game of a total of 43, 49ers seven and a half point favorites last time they played. That was all the way back in week 15. The 49ers won that game 21 to 13. When I say Seahawks and 49ers, what do you think of Hayden? I think that this is the one that could get kind of away from us. Uh, just looking at how these teams stack up. Uh, here's the charts. Offense and in, in defensive EPA. The 49ers have the best defense of all of them uh, in the playoffs. And the Seahawks defense has been second worst on top of that Brock Purdy uh, has been excellent in his start, 6-0. and uh, But even if you expand that sample size to go back to the Jimmy G games, the, the 49ers are in the upper part of the playoffs here. So Geno's going to have to get really hot because I don't see the Seahawks defense stopping the 49ers. So my end prediction here is 27-20 to 20, 49ers. I do think that the Seahawks offense has been good enough this year to keep this at least somewhat playable but I don't see the 49ers offense slowing down here. Whenever I look at this chart that you put up for the playoffs, it's almost like Thanos snapped his fingers and then half of the population disappeared because it just looks so um, empty without yep. all those meaningless teams. I, As you know, I always like to go back and watch the games before we talk about them of when there are rematches. Again, back in week 15, it was a really tight game where Seattle really left a few big plays out there on the field. Quandry Diggs in the first half missed a wide open interception would have been one of those Brock Purdy plays that we talk about that he's avoided that massive mistake. That one was dropped. Uh, Travis Homer fumbled just before halftime when the Seahawks were trying to drive with a two minute drill to cut down the scoreboard uh, from seven to three. So that turned into 14 to three. And then just after halftime, George Kittle immediately scores for 21 to three. And the game was basically over after that. So I asked myself like, how do the 49ers win this one since they are, you know, favored by seven and a half points? One, the Seahawks run defense is super shaky, and it's been that way all season long. And now you're going up against Kyle Shanahan, who still has Trent Williams out there, George Kittle, multiple blockers. The inter the offensive line is kind of gelled as the season has gone along a lot better. And it's not just Christian McCaffrey anymore. We get Elijah Mitchell back, who also got carries. And then against the Seahawks in that earlier Week 15 matchup, Jordan Mason was the one with the final two minutes to really pound it down the throats of Seattle's defense in order to clinch that game. So, again, the biggest weakness, I think, for the Seahawks defense is easily and has been for years the strength of the 49ers offense. Yeah, I think Elijah Mitchell is like an underrated asset to this offense, what he can do as a, as a changeup. Uh, I do like him in NFL playoff best ball, but we'll save that for the later part of the discussion here. I think with the Seattle offense, the, the, the San Francisco defense is very good, but as long as Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf are healthy and Geno Smith is basically, is he going to turn the ball over or not? He's very efficient throwing the ball. He has turned the ball over a little bit in recent months. Um, and some of that is his fault. He is a, definitely an aggressive quarterback. But 
if those aren't interceptions here, you can see right. this game being a little bit tighter. So I think this, there's a chance that this game could be a little bit higher scoring than expected. Uh, but I think ultimately primarily because I don't see the Seattle defense showing up. See, the Seahawks offense already hit its peak earlier this season, and it hasn't played as well in the past few weeks. And I think it is because those Geno mistakes. Also, the rookie offensive tackles have probably let in and obviously Bosa. they're <laughs> facing Nick Bosa this week and a right. bunch of other guys who can really rush the passer. Um, but at the same time, I think the 49ers defense has probably shown their peak at points this season. And, you know, a few of those pieces have been a bit not skeptical as of late, but uh, regressed just a tiny bit. And Hufunga is one of those names where maybe his eyes are getting away from him and taking him out of some place. Uh, I did want to bring up the real X factor. And it's been that way since, when Brock Purdy took over and it's George Kittle. If I asked you, okay, how many touchdowns George Kittle has this year and how was his previous season high? What would you say for both those numbers? Was it like nine this year and six previously? Yeah. Previous years was six. He has 11 touchdowns. Wow. This season. And just to put that in perspective, seven touchdowns with Brock Purdy in just five games compared to 17 touchdowns with Jimmy Garoppolo in 50 of those games. And so why is this working? And it's something that I think you and I talked about as soon as we saw one or two games with Christian McCaffrey and George Kittle on the field. And at the same time, it really is to me just a lot of gravity and acknowledgement from defenses where they attract and gravitate towards Chris McCaffrey and all of these underneath patterns. Obviously this was in the first matchup, a beautiful seas parting play where it's, you know, misdirection to both sides. First, Ray McLeod, then to Chris McCaffrey. I mean, look at these three players running in the direction of 23. And then that plays unfair. That's it. That, that, that is linebacker unfair. hell. Now I also want to bring up this next touchdown too. That was even longer because look, as soon as George Coe gets the top of his drop, there are one, two, three, four defensive backs in front of George Kittle on the way to scoring a touchdown, right? But then you have what looks like to be just a little flare out from Christian McCaffrey to the left side with Kyle Juszczyk in front of him. And so as we see when Brock Purdy looks down at that, look at all the attention that starts being paid towards Christian McCaffrey in the flat and leaving 10 yards of separation over the top to George Kittle. And then it's a touchdown again to Quandre Diggs making a miss in the open field. On the way, and this is what George Kittle gives you too, and why he's different than a bunch of tight ends is this uncanny ability to create big plays after the catch as well. Give me a final score prediction. I think the spread right now is like nine and a half. I I, I think oh I, I saw it at seven and a half this morning. Um, we, we'll we'll double check. I think it was nine and a half somewhere in there. I think I think that the Seahawks could cover that slightly, but um, I, I think I would like the higher on this game if I had to pick anything. You're right. It is nine and a half. And I was looking at the open, not the live. Um, I think it's going to be tighter than nine and a half, but still we in a touchdown win. Yeah. Eight points. Let's say eight points for the 49ers. Yeah. Next up, also on Saturday, the Los Angeles Chargers are two and a half point favorites on the road against the Jacksonville Jaguars, 47 and a half total. They're one of two road teams that are favored this week. They played all the way back in week three. And again, I want to remind you, the Chargers are favorites here by two and a half points because in week three, the Jaguars won that game 38 to 10. How long ago was that? James Robinson had 100 rushing yards and Evan Ingram had just one catch in that contest. This was the peak of Justin Herbert playing through that rib injury. And I find the Chargers fascinating for a bunch of reasons. Uh, one, obviously, we're dealing with the Mike Williams and Joey Bosa uh, injury report. It seems like both of them are on track to play. But if you just look at the stats for the Chargers, they should not be two and a half point favorites, uh, in my opinion. You look at EPA per, per game, uh, uh, the Jaguars have a slight advantage over the Chargers. Now, here's the tricky part, though. This Chargers sample, when you're just looking at the data, no Joey Bosa. Justin Herbert's been playing through injury. Uh, their right tackle's been out. He's back now. Their center's been in and out of the lineup. Keenan Allen and Mike Williams have been in and out of the lineup. I was trying to come down with some splits here to kind of make uh, a bold case here, but there was injuries throughout the entire year that you can't even come up with a split. So if you this is a game where you have to throw away the entire stats and come down with, are the Chargers actually going to show up? This is a classic letdown spot for the Chargers. They had looked awful last game the vibes right now are really bad after they were starting to really pick up um but still i'm going 24 to 23 chargers here just because the jaguars are so inexperienced uh, i do think brandon staley's defense has played very well um oh, over the last couple of months 
uh, of the season. I And I think that there's a little component here with Joey Bosa coming back, how much that actually is going to help Khalil Mack. You can't be double teaming two edge rushers. Which one are you going to do? Are you going to have block uh, Joey Bosa? And it's coming with a backup left tackle and Cam Robinson. Uh, he's on injured reserve. I think Walker Little has stepped up a little bit, left tackle and played decently sure. well. To your point about the Chargers and how the defense has evolved and gotten better as the season gone, has gone along. Last six weeks, they are third in pass defense DVOA. 27th in rush, but they don't care about that. Always. <laughs> now, if we can look this past weekend when this team did play starters both on offense and defense, it might have been like Russell Wilson's best game. And, sure. you know, Chase Edmonds getting to the edge, misdirection. Latavis Murray was running right through them as well. Not the best look in week 18, not just the usage of Mike Williams and him hobbling. It does sound like he is going to play here on Saturday. I did want to bring up one more injury piece of information because there had been some mentions that Rashawn Slater might come back just a couple hours before we went live. They did open up his 21-day practice window in order to return from IR, but Brandon Slater already came out and said their stud left tackle is not going to play on Saturday. Yeah, so I think that the Chargers' pass defense is going to be very good here. And Trevor Lawrence has been a little bit turnover-prone on occasion. The ball's gone away from just a little bit here. The scheme is very good, and I think they have the yards after the catch weapons in ETN and Evan Ingram and Christian Kirk at times uh, to, to, to kind of make the advantage seem less drastic in, in terms of the Chargers' defense versus this uh, left tackle, right tackle situation. Um I think I'm on the opposite end of you on this. Really? I mean, one, Duval is going to be shaking. Right. Shaking. The crowd in Jacksonville is going to be nuts. Okay. It was last week. Correct. Also, Trevor in what? That week three game, they were still learning how to, you know, jog in a Doug Peterson offense. They have fully leaned into what is like working now. And it's not right. just the misdirection stuff against certain opponents that has worked as we've seen extended handoffs to Evan Ingram, Jamal Agnuson and so forth. Or if you're playing cover two looks, the whole shots that we've also seen to Zay Jones, the, you know, vertical slot routes that we have seen the slot fades to Christian Kirk in recent weeks as well. Um, but we've also since have seen Travis Etienne take a hold of the starting running back job. Now, some weeks he's had like 25 carries. Sometimes it's been to 19 touches. But this is one of those games that I think we can see, what was it, week 17, a huge explosive rush or gain from Travis Etienne that we were not getting in that previous game. A long run of nine yards in a 38-10 to 10 victory. And by the way, Charlie Lawrence was nearly spotless in that game. Three touchdowns, 28 of 39, 262 yards. And he's playing at that level. I think right now, Troy Aikman was getting all over him in that game. I thought the criticism was a bit unfair, to be honest with you. That's also my bias towards who I think is one of the best young players in the league in Trevor Lawrence. He had a bad game. I think that was fair. I, I don't think you should extrapolate this. I mean, he threw, he missed a, a, like a very, some very key throws at, at, at the very least. Um, Trevor Lawrence is, is a good quarterback. I'm, I'm not taking anything away from him. And that this is like another debate, though, of how much do you zoom in on one previous matchup, especially when it happened in week three? I'm mostly just not pretending that game didn't happen. It's part of the sample size uh, just because it happened so long ago. And like, yeah, Trevor Lawrence in the offense wasn't uh, firing on all cylinders like the Jaguars is are right now. But also neither was the Chargers. I mean, their quarterback was injured totally. and their wide receivers were banged up. And Bosa, uh, even last week, Bosa wasn't even on the field for that much when, when Russell Wilson was going too crazy. So um, I just think that there's the chargers have more experience yeah. and I think that's just going to show up here. The Jaguars were not, if you asked us in the beginning of the season, Jaguars versus chargers in the playoffs, who who'd you take? Everybody would say the chargers. I think I want to zoom out a little bit and pick the Chargers in a narrow win, but I think these teams are very even. One element that is working in the same way, that game that wasn't for points of the season was the Jaguars defensive line. You know, what we saw in week 18 for them was fantastic. It was Trayvon Walker probably having his best game of the season. Josh Allen doing the exact same thing. We've seen Arden Key go inside and outside, do a bunch of fun stuff. They've got some other good players up front. And that week three game, I mean, Austin Eckler had four carries for five yards. They stuffed, stuffed Derrick Henry last week as well. And then the passing game, I mean, Austin Eckler, eight catches for 48 yards. Josh Palmer, six for 99. And then Mike Williams and Tyson Campbell is going to be such a fun matchup to watch on the outside in this game. I think Tyson Campbell, and this is going to be a future video, is one of the 
unsung superstars on defense around the league, not getting a ton of love, has done a much better job with his ball skills this season. And he really is one of those, I think, perimeter corners that is totally fine in an island and man coverage that doesn't get enough love nationally. I'm on 24-23 Chargers. It sounds like you want the opposite side. Are you a Jaguars fan this week? I'm a Jaguars. I'm a Jaguars fan. Taking them by a field goal. In this All right. Game. Let's go on over to the Sunday games. Pick it off. One o'clock Eastern. It is the Miami Dolphins at the Buffalo Bills. A replay from just a few weeks ago. Right now, the Bills are 10 and a half point favorites. Total of 44 and a half. How should we even talk about this game? Because one, the spread might indicate that Vegas, others do not expect Tua Tungavailoa to play. But if Tua doesn't play, there's really not much to talk about. So I almost want to talk as if Tua is going to play this weekend. But then the spread is also erroneous at that point, if that makes sense. I think the point spread should be closer to 14. I don't think Tua is going to play this game. I, I'll stand corrected if I'm wrong there. Um, I think there's a chance that this point spread gets even higher. If you just look at the splits, there's five games where Tua was not quarterbacking. The EPA per, per game is at negative 7.6. For reference, the Bills, uh, over this entire course of the season, they're at plus 7.9 on offense. And the Bills' defense is better than the Dolphins' defense as well. And they're playing at home with everything going their way right now. Uh, in, in Buffalo, uh, building a lot of obviously um, goodwill from this last uh, week. I just, I just think this is a Dolphins team that's a zombie. Okay, there's a couple aspects of this though because it was 29 to 21 Dolphins in the fourth quarter when they last played, and that was a game that we all expected Tua to struggle in because it was really bad weather. The snow hit in a considerable way in the fourth quarter. But again, I guess the conversation we are having is that Tua is not going to be ready, is not going to play in this it, game. And it's not even just that. Raheem Mostert, he just had a, yeah, a surgery on his thumb. And on the flip side, I think this is the most important element of, of it all. Josh Allen last week, I thought had one of the best games of the season. His arm looked amazing. That deep ball down the sideline to Diggs was absolutely beautifully placed. There was a, a point in the, the season where Tony Romo was noting, I don't think Josh Allen looked all right. And I agreed with him. That deep touchdown pass, Josh Allen last week, I thought was a signal that and this is about the time frame where you expect that injury to not really matter uh, at all. Uh, man, I just I think that Josh Allen's going to put up a huge fantasy lo- line here, and I just don't see how whether it's Teddy Bridgewater um, or Skylar Thompson really can be even like a, a healthy Tua. To be honest, like. This Bills team is just I think, much better. I think there's a huge difference, though, in a healthy Tua well, of course, in consideration of like enough. a 10 and a half or nine and a half point spread. I think that is enough. I think it is enough to make them competitive because really the only times that we have seen Tua play poorly are the 49ers defense, uh, the Chargers defense, and then the three interception game after it sounds like he suffered this third concussion against the Green Bay Packers. Because against this Bills defense, he it played also happened to happen the last well. month, though. No, correct. Yeah. But it seemed like that happened. Those three interceptions immediately after that hit took place or immediately after. And I think you can probably link the two. But I mean, we were also talking about how there's a, a, a potential blueprint, you know, uh, and how to take away. And we saw what the the, bill, the Bills did against the Dolphins. There was a couple of big plays. But for the most part, what was to the Stalin? He His completion percentage seemed like it was like at 40 percent. They were doing nothing against the Bills early on, and that was one of those blueprint games where they're jamming these wide receivers at the line of scrimmage. So uh, I'm nervous that this this Dolphins team peaked too early and injuries just kind of took away. Um, I guess that, to me, though, is in relation to the spread. Like, the the spread should be much tighter if Tua it does, in fact, play. At least in, I would say, you, I would say it was like seven and a half, eight still. Um, I did want to bring up, and you brought Raheem Mostert into this conversation, He's such a key, too, because if you talked about defenses and blueprints and so on and so forth, even though think defenses have played them somewhat differently, the counterpunch has been Raheem Mostert and how he's been playing so well. You know, uh, I think he's moved at a different speed than a lot of the players on the field entirely over the last couple of weeks. And he was a key in that game against the Bills. He was a key uh, last week for them as well. And that counterpunch is, you know, connecting on shorter uh, passes out in the flats, but also just the running game entirely and not relying on, you know, the intermediate over the middle of the field passing attempts. And it sounds like he is going to be out. Mike Medino called it a serious injury, but he did have surgery, significant break in the thumb, and maybe he'll wear a cast, a club, however people Doesn't want to put fun. it. sound fun. 
Um, the other player I wanted to bring up in that last contest, Dawson Knox, our guy, went six for 98 and one. And look, we can always rely on Josh Allen to do some incredible things, especially in the running game. But what we see with Dawson Knox at times is he is that second piece in certain games that really does emerge because, again, Josh Allen to Stefan Diggs will always be there. But Gabriel Davis can be erratic. Devin Singletary, James Cook, they can be off and on at times. And Dawson Knox is one of those players who I think has a talent in him to really impact games when the uh, personnel, the coaching, the scheme calls for it. And I did want to bring up this one singular play because it speaks to the talent of Josh Allen, the Bills offensive line holding up just enough because, I mean, they send six pass rushers here. He buys just enough time. And since it's two DBs on three pass routes on this side, you find a wide open advantage for Dawson Knox. He's able to pick up some more yards after the catch. So yep. he, I think he has the talent to step up if it calls for it again, like he did in the last time they faced this Dolphins defense. Yeah, I think Mitch Morse, he missed a couple of these games kind of when the Bills were kind of slugging along on offense. He should be back. And I think he'll be uh, very key, just a veteran presence, because the Dolphins will put that mugged, look, uh, mugged up look and bring the house on occasion as well. Will they do that against Josh Allen? I'm not sure uh, this week. I just don't see the Dolphins offense keeping up. I got this thing like 30 to 14. And in this game, we saw Dawson Knox in a bunch of one-on-one situations too. Like you'll see one against 42 here in a little bit. Like when split out out wide, there is no chance that 42 is going to stick with him and he just shoves off, gets a first down. There's another one against 20 in the red zone as we saw for the touchdown. So just love that performance. And as we talked about heading into the season, I think Dawson Knox is the type of talent that can maximize these types of performances too when called upon. All right, final score prediction. I... I I've not written these downs ahead of time. Um, I think the Bills win by win by 10. Flat out Fair 10. Enough. There we go. All right. Also on Saturday, New York Giants on the road in Minnesota. Vikings favored by three points. Total of 48 and a half. Uh, these two teams played in week 16. How do you think this one's going to go? I think this is where you can have a little bit of an upset here. If you're just looking at this thing on paper, there are some stats out there that would make the Giants actually a slight favorite here. Uh, Their defense is the key piece to me just because there's so much injuries uh, for the Giants. They might get Adoree Jackson, Leonard Williams, and Aziz Ojulari back uh, at practice this week. They just got Xavier McKinney. That's a second-round safety back in week 17. So this Giants defense that plays a lot of man coverage blitzes a lot and you need good players. When you do that, they're all of a sudden going to get a bunch of their uh, key members out on defense. And on the flip side, the Vikings, their left tackle, Brian O'Neill, who's PFF's number. Right tackle. Uh, yeah. Right tackle. Sorry. Uh, number eight offensive tackle uh, in the league. Huge. He is on injured reserve. So, I don't see why the, the Vikings should be favored by as much as they are. I think this is basically a pick them. Um, I like both of their coaches. So I don't want to give the giants too much of a coaching advantage. I think McConnell, uh, Kevin McConnell does a pretty good job here, but all of a sudden the giants are getting a bunch of their players back. The Vikings lost one of their most important players yeah. on offense. And you start looking at these metrics, man, and the Vikings really aren't even that much better than the giants, even when both fully healthy. Wink Martindale is not the type that is going to bracket coverage Justin Jefferson. Uh, And we've seen, you know, Justin Jefferson have lower weeks because when that happens, someone else in that team really does have to step up. Again, though, in week, what did I say? 16 that they played each other? Um, Something like that. It sounds about right. Three-point win for the Vikings. Justin Jefferson in that game, 12 receptions, 133 yards, one touchdown. TJ Hawkinson stepped up. 13 receptions, 109 yards, and two scores. And then no other pass catcher had over three receptions. And what stood out to me was Kirk Cousins throwing in the face of pressure and coming up with big-time throws because of it. Like this one in the red zone. Obviously, it's heavy play action. You see this awesome route that's an inside-breaking route that then TJ Hawkinson veers to the outside. Clean hit, down low. Delivered strike. I know it's wide open, but still big hit for Kirk Cousins. Here's another one to Justin Jefferson, which kind of is bracket coverage. You see inside leverage that the cornerback is taking with a safety help over top because he knows he has that. And then it's just inside breaker. Boom. 
Score. That's that's what makes Justin Jefferson different Special. right there. Yep. He he's manipulating two different uh defensive backs at the same exact time. His feel for the game is unbelievable. On top of all like the natural athleticism and wiggle and bend he has and the catch radius, to me, his like just manipulation of corners is unfairly good. Um, so I think that's gonna be the difference. It's gonna be him versus Adoree Jackson. Adoree Jackson's gonna have to step up. Obviously, Justin Jefferson's a much better player than Adoree Jackson. We'll see if if Wink brings the house and if the Vikings offensive line is going to be able to sort it out. And if Kirk Cousins is going to be able to handle some of these pressure throws, he's been very inconsistent under pressure throughout his entire career. I think there's been some times where he gets too much uh, knock against him, but there's also some times in prime time, especially where things can really crater here. So I think I still got the Vikings by one 21 20. I don't think there's going to be some super high scoring uh, affair here. I just think that Justin Jefferson ultimately is too good to bet against, but I will note the giants are getting much healthier on defense. I'm not expecting this to be a big shootout. You basically made the point for me where, in this case, seven pass rushers in the face. I mean, single coverage on the outside, the one safety over top. And we've seen Kirk Cousins fold in some of these situations. And now, especially at the right tackle, that might happen even more. But in this one, this is the third where he faces a huge rush, big men bearing down on him, and converts a critical play as well. Again, he made three, four, five of those in that pass game. Do you all expect Kirk Cousins to do that again this week? three, four, five times in the face of pass rushers might be even worse this week than it was just a couple weeks ago. I think that's the big question to ask for the people out there. What was your pick again, Hayden? 21-20 Vikings. I don't, I don't, I see this one being kind of more of a slugfest than um, you might expect. You know what? I'm going with the Giants. I feel like you're going I wanted to across the board. For me, the Giants truly know who they are, especially on offense, where it has been deep play action, bootlegs, misdirection, and then in key third and seven, third and five, whatever, Daniel Jones either has to scramble or thread the needle on some of those passes. And I think he can thread the needle on these um, on this Viking secondary. It's one that we talk about giving up big plays every single week. Even in that game, Darius Slayton had a big conversion as well. And like they've kind of found this trio in a roundabout way of the odd company of Darius Slayton, Richie James, and Isaiah Hodgins. And like those are their three dudes. And we haven't really seen a big Saquon Barkley play in a bit, it feels like. And maybe one of those pops up here in this game. I like Mike Kafka. I like Brian Dayball. And I think some of those questions that we've brought up with the Vikings over and over and over again this year, maybe one or two of those come to fruition this week. And the Giants just play super standard football and get it done with one big Daniel Jones, let's say third and three conversion at the end with his own feet to convert. And close it out for the Giants. He's got everything to play for. Free agent. We'll see what the, the Giants do with the franchise tags. They can tag either Jones or Saquon. Um, we'll see what happens. All right. One more on Saturday. It's at 8.15. Now, this is Sunday. Whew. It is the Ravens and the Bengals. Seven-point spread at the moment. Total of 42. I don't even know how to have this conversation because right now, what is the latest on Lamar Jackson from what you have read? The latest is there's no latest. We're they're being very quiet about what's whatever is happening. They think that Lamar Jackson has a chance to play, but they won't know until practice on Wednesday. Uh, the markets right now kind of has it split down the middle. Um, I'll, I'll put it this way. I think the Ravens are a little bit underrated if Lamar Jackson is anywhere near 100%. Obviously, that's a huge caveat. I don't think anyone could be confident in uh, his health status going into this, at least before we get practice reports. But before Lamar Jackson's injury, the Ravens' offense was quietly balling. And it was very inconsistent towards the end, but they were really cooking in the beginning parts of the season here. And if you really smooth that thing out, they were ultimately averaging 25 points per game and had a 75% uh, uh, point uh, differential in 11 Lamar Jackson starts. That's really good. If you start looking at these like EPA numbers in those uh, Lamar Jackson starts, they're actually very, very good. And since then, Lamar Jackson's been out of the lineup, but they did add Roquan Smith that they just gave it a huge contract to. And that, off, or that defense has really picked up at the same time. So uh, going into Cincy, Joe Burrow's been playing fantastic recently. Uh, I... I I don't like the matchup just because I really respect the Bengals, but there is an upside case with the Ravens. I think has not been discussed probably because Lamar Jackson might not play and they might lose by three touchdowns. If 
though we are looking back on previous games played and like how they can be implemented into this week and previous iterations of offenses, I think you have to throw away some of the best Lamar Jackson games this season because they featured Rashad Bateman. Bateman. Yeah. You know, like I think you have to throw away the three touchdown game against the Jets, the three touchdown game against the Dolphins, the four touchdown game against the New England Patriots. Were you open with 10 games, touchdowns? I, I know. Say. Were you open with, with 10 passing touchdowns in the first three weeks? Because those all had Rashad Bateman. And ever since then, you have absolutely no one at wide receiver on the outside. No one. The, the counter would be that Mark Andrews, when Lamar Jackson was was struggling more often, he Lamar or Mark Andrews is also playing through an injury there. Maybe he's a little bit healthier. I mean, this is going to be all for naught. I, I just want to say agree. that there, there's an upside case with the Ravens that has not been discussed enough. Uh, I think the reason why it hasn't been discussed enough because the Bengals right now look really good. Their odds uh, to advance through this thing are, are pretty high and definitely uh, massive favorites here. So I, I can't even give a score prediction right now because – um, the Lamar Jackson uh, injury seems very close to 50-50. And I, be, I believe Car- Coach Hall- Harbaugh, who I believe Coach Harbaugh came out and said that Lamar Jackson wants to play when asked about this. And like that's the furthest comment that we've gotten from this entire thing. And I believe I also read, and don't quote me on this, that uh, people who have watched Lamar Jackson like try to throw or try to practice or have a bit more hesitation than – Maybe those from a national perspective are leading on here. Um, and then the Bengals aren't like fully healthy heading into this thing either. You know, yeah. Lyle Collins is missing at right tackle and they just lost arguably their best offensive lineman this season and Alex Kappa at one of their guard spots, you know, and that is in totality what we asked for this offense to change from last year to this year is to be more stable on the offensive line, more consistent. I think as we've talked about, This Bengals team is more consistent week to week because they are hitting on the easy stuff. They are hitting on the drive-in, drive-out stuff that have changed their identity and aren't just relying on the isolation, single-high, big shots along the sideline, which, by the way, that they're still able to do, especially this past weekend, with Jamar Chase having unreal hand-eye coordination on some of those outside shots. But... I do wonder if like, not this caps a ceiling, so on and so forth, but just we don't get exactly the same thing that we saw last year with Joe Burrow getting hit six, seven, eight, nine, ten times in a single game. Because again, this was what we were hoping the difference was in the 2022 Bengals versus last year's iteration. And you got to throw in Shadobe Wuzi, their, their top corner. He's out. Uh, that was an ACL tear from uh, like last month. Uh, not that that matters as much because the Ravens, I can't, don't even want to know who there's going to be starting at wide receiver this week. Um, so yeah, it just comes down to the health of Lamar Jackson. I don't think the contract and stuff is playing into that. I think it it's odd timing, but Lamar Jackson needs to, he needs to play in the playoffs and show up big if he right. wants to make more money. I think everything's on the line for him to return and come up big. And I think that he wants to play. It just comes down to the health. Was it a grade one or grade two PCL strain? I don't know. And whenever Lamar Jackson's on the field, the Ravens have a chance because he is that type of talent that can break a really well-coached, well-run defense. But he just has that individual talent in moments that come down to three or four plays in a single game where it's a win or a loss and those decide it. And if he comes on the positive outcome of those and the Ravens can win this, especially like you said, with, this Ravens defense, especially stopping the run, and then, again, having some playmakers because they've really changed their defense, as you talked about, since bringing in, um, uh, oh, my gosh, his name just escaped. Roquan Smith. Roquan Smith with Patrick Queen as well. Um, and then that has allowed them to run the position groups that they have felt that have been uh, most advantageous for them. I think no matter what, I'm going to pick the Bengals, though. So I, I pick the Bengals. Uh, slightly over the Ravens if Lamar Jackson's fully healthy and there's a chance that he plays not himself and his thing's a blowout. We close with Monday Night Football. Dallas Cowboys are the other favored team on the road, favored by three points, 45 and a half total against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. What are you watching in this one? So you said I'm going a little chalk here. I'm going to take the Cowboys, who are favored on the road here, but I, I I'm going to predict a big-time blowout. Ooh. If you just look at the entire uh, season here with Dak Prescott, including that Tampa Bay game, which I know you're going to have some notes on, the Cowboys have a plus 125-point differential. The Buccaneers are at minus 45. These two teams on paper are nowhere near each other. I know that Dak Prescott has not been playing 
like himself. He's been throwing way too many turnovers. Some of them have not been his fault. Some of them have, though, at the same time. But if you do look at the success rate, and you still, even with those interceptions, and they've been really bad ones, really costly, his EPA stats are built both still really solid. This Cowboys offense still points uh, puts up a bunch of points. I did not look pretty last week in a game that they did want to win. Um, but at the same time, the Bucks they haven't looked all that good too. Is three bombs away touchdowns to Mike Evans. I the only kind of counter to me is that one, the Bucks kicked the shit out of the Cowboys in week one. And number two, the Bucks offensive line looks a little bit healthier. But if you remove those two things, this point spread would be much wider. I have this thing by 10 points with the Cowboys. Dak's turnovers as of late, and you outlined some of his fault, some are not, stood out to me. But also, it feels like at that same time, the Cowboys' defense isn't quite to the level of like top three unit, top five unit, like we saw earlier points this season. And maybe that goes hand in hand, right? Like the Dak turnovers puts them in worse spots, and then the defense has to go in the field. Anyways, I think it's all been amplified. I don't even care about that week one game because Dak got hurt, you know? Like I know that was a bit later on, whatever. Mm -hmm. But They've also changed how they're using some of their core and key pieces. Like the Tony Pollard, Ezekiel Elliott combination is not what it is now back in week one. You know, it's better now. It's so much better now. Yeah. And then they weren't utilizing CeeDee Lamb in the same way that they are now. You know, earlier this year in that game, sure, he had more slot snaps and outside snaps, but it was a close to 60-40. Now it's probably about 70-30 in the slot. And they're creating big, big plays for him and running these routes that – you know, put safeties in a bind, put these cornerbacks in a bind, allow them to use all those free releases. And then his movement again to like we saw with Justin Jefferson to create that space and went after the catch in that area of the field too. It's, it's stunning to me. And I think he's the best player in this game and he can be the difference to the entire thing. And maybe I'm also going back to the belief that sure, three touchdowns to Mike Evans in that make it or break it game against the Carolina Panthers really the last time we saw this offense. But to me, that does not mean that the Bucks offense has turned the corner because right. that was just total busted bad coverage by those cornerbacks out there. Yeah, those are just straightforward, easy completions down the field, which they, they can do that at times too. The Cowboys have been beaten deep on occasion, um, but I, I just can't get over the stats here. It's like really nowhere close. Even in the games with Tristan Wirfs healthy for the Buccaneers at 13 games, their EPA per game on offense is at negative 2.4. The Cowboys with Dak Prescott is at plus 5.8. I mean, we're talking about almost a touchdown plus uh, if you're just looking at the offensive stats here. And I think even with the Cowboys off or defense regressing a little bit, I think you'd still straight up take them over with the Bucks defense has been, which has been about average this year. So um, the, the only narratives to me, this is like a narrative game, like the, the Cowboys collapsing Tom Brady back I, in the playoffs and all that I stuff. Don't I don't want just, Dak to collapse, man. Like anytime Dak has like one or two or three bad plays, it gets yeah. spun into like, oh, you really believe in Dak Prescott? Yeah, of course I do. Third and success rate right now. And I know success rate is, is overrated because EPA is what matters because it's counting the interceptions and all that stuff. But um, down to down play, Dak Prescott is still very good. And it's done very differently, but it is interesting to look at just the DVOA numbers between these two teams. Dallas is sixth in rush defense, 25th. No, excuse me, sixth in rush defense, and yes, 25th in pass defense. The Bucks are seventh in run defense and 30th in pass defense. This is just over the last six weeks that I'm taking that sample. But I think the Bucks have also had some players come back in there with Antoine Winfield and so on and so forth. That's helping them in that department. All right, should we pick the entire playoffs? Let's right do it. Now? Let's see if we can come to a consensus here. Um, good luck with that. I need to go find this... Uh, we were going to pull it up here. Here it is. Myplayoffpicks.com. Hayden sent this to me. It works out well. Okay. Do you and I have to come up with a consensus here? Yes. All right. In chat, you maybe you can be some tiebreakers if you want, <laughs> want to be. Bill's big. This one's easy. Yeah. Bill's win this one. Although, we just had that entire. By the way, that Bill's-Dolphins game, it was nine completions to Tyreek Hill, three to Jalen Waddle, and no other Dolphin had more than one in that game. I can see that again. <laughs> oh, come on. You're so disrespectful. All right, Bill's there. We already Bengals. said the Bengals. Yep. Jaguars, Chargers. I, I have a slight Chargers win, but I think this this, this should be a pick em. All you choose. 
We'll go. Okay. This is what I'll do. I'll give you the Chargers here if I can have the Giants over the Vikings. You got a deal. Okay. So Chiefs. Chiefs oh, it's Chargers. AFC first. Yeah, it's all the way through. Um, okay. Chiefs, Chargers. Yeah, going back to the, the charts, I just want to pull up real quick just to kind of show you what the level the Chiefs offense is. Look at their EPA per game. It's at 10. No yeah. one else is even playing the same sport as the Chiefs on offense right now. So, I mean, huge conversation that we've had all season long, every single week. But Patrick Mahomes leading the league in success rate, the position when you trade away Tyreek Hill, not so stuff. And the success rate's insane because he's taking risk by his play right. that it would lower his success rate in theory. He's just so good. Bills versus Bengals. So this is neutral site. No, uh, that would no, be the no, AFC no. Championship. Excuse me. Yeah. That would be this one should be neutral site. Let's put it that way. Yeah, this one would be very close to me. I think the Bills have a little bit of an advantage here, obviously, at home. Um, I think they've been the better team for the entire course of the season. Um, but the the Bengals have been playing really well. I just keep going back. That Josh Allen game from last week has me really optimistic with the Bills' chances. So I would personally take the Bills uh, by a field goal in Buffalo. I really want to take the Bengals because of how different their season has felt this year. Like, again, they're both at this point. We feel really good about them, yet it's out of the shotgun. It's more drive-in, drive-out consistency. But I I do worry that the Alex Kappa, Lyle Collins stuff will come back to bite them because then it's shoving players back in there. I think Max Sharping is playing in this game instead of Alex Kappa. Like, it's just names that we were hoping were not going to be in there. Um, Yeah. I would go to the Bills. The, the Bengals, the f- fully healthy Bengals would have my interest here. But, I mean, even Chidobe Awuzie, that that's up against Steph Diggs. You're going to be without him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and I am with you with Josh Allen's arm looks fully healthy. Dangerous. Fully healthy. They still, and I, that's why I talked so much about Dawson Knox when we were talking about this. Like, if they had one other player every single week that you could depend on, I would feel much differently about the Bills. You know? Mm-hmm. But it feels like one of them have to step up. One of the other five. And that could be James Cook. But I think they've done a better p- job this year than they have in previous years of having numbers in that area of role players that could step up any given week. Does that mm-hmm. make sense to you? Yeah. I, I think Dawson Knox is their second best skill player. I'm with you. Uh, and I, I, I think for my – by the way, I'm a sicko. I have rankings for next year if you guys want to go to Underdog Network. I buried – Gabe Davis in there because I do think yeah. that he hasn't played well enough where the Bills are going to be looking for a legit number two um, and that would come at the expense of him. Full circle with Gabe Davis. All right. Chiefs versus Bengals. All right. Chiefs versus Bills. And this is at a neutral site. Yes. Um, I'm leaning easily Chiefs here. What about you? I, I think the Chiefs are by far the best team. The I'm, Bills can I'm, the Bills can upset them. I think the Bengals can upset them. One of the NFC teams we get there. But to me, Patrick Mahomes is by far the best quarterback in the league. Now, rocking. Think of how this game played out last season where Mm -hmm. in the final moments with what 20 ish seconds left, you needed an insane Tyreek Hill catch and run for the chiefs to win that game. That is out of the cards this year. There's no way the chiefs can come up with a play like that this year, you know? So there are going to be different ways and how the chiefs have to win a game like this. The bills defense has been kind of getting some injuries at every single layer of the field for like the last couple months though. So I, I don't think that this bills defense was as good as it was last week. We'll see if like Micah Hyde and those type of type uh, types of players return. I would take the chiefs by a field goal. Yeah, they're too good. All right. NFC side 49ers versus Seahawks. Seahawks have been one of the best stories. I'm so glad they made the playoffs. We saw some great football this year. They're going to be in the zeitgeist for the offseason, too, because of where their draft pick is, thanks to the Denver Broncos and then the decision they have with Geno Smith. But this is easy to the 49ers to me. Yes. Vikings at Giants, we've already decided since I gave you, and I'm regretting it now, the Jaguars mm-hmm. over the Chargers. We're taking the Giants away with a victory in Minnesota here with Brian Dayball and Mike Kafka shitting all over your regression model. <laughs> uh I think I think the regression model is voting. I think for it actually hit. Yeah. <laughs> maybe, maybe the Vikings just made uh, a point of your regression model if they lose this game. Let's put it that way. There we go. All right. Uh Buccaneers and Cowboys, your choice. 
I, I got the Cowboys by seven to ten points here. Um, I just think they're they're they're. Their season has been just much better. Yeah, I mean, the Bucks have just been so bad at points this year. Unwatchable yeah. at points, you know? The Cowboys never have. The K- Dak Prescott no. will throw a bad interception, but the entire game, they will look good. Last week was the the exception, but zoom out. And it's one of those where the Cowboys have so many more players on, that ro- on their roster this year that say, okay, can you make that one play in the fourth quarter to win it? You have CeeDee Lamb. You have Tony Pollard offensively to do that, right? You have Dalton Schultz and contest catches in the red zone doing that this year too. And then defensively, you have multiple of those pieces yeah. in, in Micah Parsons and Trayvon Diggs, you know, we're going with the Cowboys. Eagles at giants. I mean, it's two teams that really at their core, if you want to whittle it down, offensive line play and quarterbacks with athleticism. And then you build passing games off of that. <laughs> And that was the oversimplification <laughs> of the entire century. I loved it though. Correct. And then the Eagles are just so much better yeah. than the Giants at that. Plus, with Wink Martindale and this Giants defense, at times, you know, when he's sending six and seven, which by the way, the Eagles offensive line is going to be able to pick up. That means you have single coverage with Devontae Smith and AJ Brown on the outside. It's the Eagles. Yes. Then we have 49ers Cowboys. This is an interesting one, too. Oh yeah, this is this is big time. Um, the advantage the 49ers have to me is I think their defense is just a little stickier, um, and they just have two or three more weapons than the Cowboys do. Um, I, I would pick the 49ers here just because you're playing on the road after already going on the road uh, in the first game. I think I'm gonna have to take San Francisco. So that means. NFC championship is the Eagles at home against the San Francisco 49ers. Hayden, I so want to take the 49ers here. Uh, in like November, I, I tweeted out, this was with Jimmy G chiefs, 49ers super bowl. Um, I'm with you. Let's do it. I so want to now that might be, you know, reacting to the present a bit too much because we haven't seen Jalen Hurts at his best like we saw Jalen Hurts for much of the season. And they were by far and away. Like, no one could stop really this deep, this offense until we got to, like, that Houston Texans game when they struggled for the first half, right? And they do have layer upon layer upon layer. Like, hey, if you can't stop inside zone, then we're just going to run that down your throat in a few different ways, okay? Once you start moving players down for that we're going to run this different screen package and release package to dallas goddard also in rpos right and you can't stop that okay when you drift more and more and more to the line of scrimmage then now we have aj brown and Devonte smith to beat you outside the numbers and 20 plus yards down the field i just haven't really seen that in the last three weeks as much you know and maybe that's playing too much in my head here with the 49ers i would say their past five six weeks has been their best work period this season this would be such a fantastic matchup. This is like in the trenches, but you also have the skilled guys outside. This is this is what I'm hoping for. I think these are the two best teams in the NFC. The Cowboys have kind of dipped down maybe a half of a tier. I think that did at one point have them uh, in this mix, but I think recently they've gone down a little bit here. Um, I don't think Brock Purdy will play as good as he's played over the last six games, but they've been blowing these teams out. I think there's even some room for him to throw an interception here or there. Okay, so we're going 49ers. Rematch. Chiefs 49ers, no Jimmy Garoppolo. A game that came down to the wire the last time Andy Reid, Kyle Shanahan faced off in the Super Bowl. A lot of people point to that one Jimmy Garoppolo throw to Emmanuel Sanders, I believe, of all people. That was a miss. I would point to about two or three occasions earlier in that game when he failed to come up with a big play. Uh, In totality, though, This 49ers offense is totally different than that time because it all comes down to, I think, Christian McCaffrey being that difference. Yep, and uh, you would have to be out of your mind to pick Brock Purdy over Patrick Mahomes, so I would be taking the Chiefs. (laughs) (laughs) But at the same time, you would have said you would be out of your mind if you're taking Jimmy Garoppolo over Patrick Mahomes just a couple years ago. Correct. And sure, it didn't work out, but it really was one to two plays. Now... But that, 49ers part of it, team, but that 49ers team did not have Christian McCaffrey. Like, it didn't have this version of Brandon Ayuk. Brandon Ayuk wasn't even 
on the roster? I think he might. Yeah, I think he was I a rookie. Was, no, 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 it was Debo. It was Debo. It was Debo and Emmanuel. Correct. But Emmanuel was still playing good ball at that point, though. Not not Brandon. Not Brandon Ayuk, obviously. But. I mean, those are two. And then you're having George Kittle's best season statistically from a touchdown standpoint ever. You know. Trent Williams, I don't think, was on that roster, if I'm remembering Stop correctly. Stop testing me on these questions. I don't know. Anything. I mean, these are some key, key, key pieces. Very impactful. This is the best Patrick Mahomes has been looking. I think this is it. Okay. You just want to eat the chalk. I want to be right. I don't want people to unsubscribe. I mean... How wonky are we with the Chiefs versus the Bills and the Eagles versus the 49ers in the we conference? Some, we had some ups, upsets here. Finals. We did. A couple. Man, I should have put the Jaguars in there with the Chargers. But that's fine. No. All right. How do you feel? How do you feel so, about that? Ducks all to me. Okay. All right. Uh, I'll link that in the description down below if you all want to play. And if you want to let us know in the comments what we missed and what we did wrong. Let us know. Okay, we're going to close out here with some playoff best ball notes from Hayden Winks. I think I have a little video as well, Hayden, on the mitten that just hit the airwaves. $250,000 prize pool, $5 entry for the mitten. I know you have some other tournaments with millions of dollars on the line too. It's just nutso stuff for a yeah. game that not many people know about, which you're going to outline here with playoff best ball. We are trying to get people to play it. And I'm with you because it's such a fun game. And once you do, you want to keep drafting. We are currently right now have $1.45 million right now in uh, NFL playoff best ball. That would be more than original best ball mania one would be. So people are really playing this and and there's a lot of uh, new faces in there. And I think for right, for right reasons. Now there is a lot of strategy that we have to get right. The, the short notes are, is you gotta have a, full starting lineup for a Super Bowl matchup. It is a top heavy structure. Just so that's the way that this thing is. You have to advance with these bye weeks that we'll go through, but you have to at least have one quarterback, one to two running backs in uh, two to three wide receiver slash tight ends, or you will not win this thing. That is the number one goal here. Stacking has never been more important than in this format. All right. So talk us through it. You said that you need a full matchup, a full yep. starting lineup for Super Bowl. So, is it two quarterbacks you should go with? Is it one quarterback? How much should you invest in players that are going to be playing in Super Wildcard Weekend? Yep. Or how much should you invest in the likes of the Chiefs and the Eagles, who are also expensive in these drafts too? So on Underdog Network, I have all of the playoff teams listed in order of their odds to make the Super Bowl, not to win, but just to make it because you'll get points. Even the losing team in the bowl get some points here. Um, so I'll, I think we should we should attack this team by team because that's kind of the the decision you're going to have to make is one quarterback, two quarterbacks, all that stuff. So starting with the chiefs, they have the highest odds of making the super bowl here. Um, you want to stack them with NFC teams. And typically I'm going to be drafting four or five chiefs players and then coming up with three or four uh, players, maybe two players from NFC teams, like the 49ers, for example, you build a team with uh, Patrick Mahomes. Then you start hitting yourself with some Brandon Ayuk's and your George Kittles come back to Juju. And all of a sudden you got, a team uh, that could compete for the Super Bowl. Um, the issue is with the Chiefs is you have to get out of the first round, uh, and it's two of six or one of six advancement structure, uh, depending on what tournament you're going into. So you can't just draft all Eagles and all Chiefs and just say, right. we'll see you in the Super Bowl. You will not advance it. So um, to me, that the, the players that I would be linking with Chiefs in particular, it'd be like players like Mike Williams, players like Mark Andrews, players like um, we can go to um, the NFC teams like Ken Walker, Justin Jefferson. These are my favorite players to stack with just because they're going to be big points in round one when you really need them. And then those teams are probably going to get eliminated. It's like Saquon Barkley with the Giants. And then all of a sudden, in comes uh, your Chiefs stacks later on. So pair your Chiefs players with players that are probably going to get eliminated, but have big chances of a big score. Like Justin Jefferson would be another example. All right. So let's say you're picking at number three overall, because I've been getting this a lot in our employee drafts and even number two, it's the decision is between Christian McCaffrey or Jalen hurts. Cause hurts is kind of like that final quarterback. And even Joe Burrow's right there too. If you really believe mm -hmm. in the Bengals and think they're going to have a big playoff run, do you take by far and away the best running back 
on the board who's going to give you, you know, points in wildcard weekend, or are you going to try to triple quadruple stack with Jalen Hurts? Yes, I think Josh Allen's the number one pick overall by a wide margin. And then I would go Patrick Mahomes, then Christian McCaffrey, kind of how ADP has this thing. Uh, We can skip down to to the uh, 49ers real quick. They're the fourth uh, highest odds in making the Super Bowl. There's a teardrop after them. But like you said, Christian McCaffrey is by far the number one running back. And uh, if he's in the Super Bowl, I don't see how the the opposing team in the AFC is going to have a running back that's going to compete because that's typically going to be the Bills and the Chiefs. So maybe you get lucky with some Jarek McKinnon touchdowns, but Christian McCaffrey would have a chance to really leap over. Um, Brock Purdy, I would not have him as the only quarterback. I don't think he's going to score enough points throughout this thing. So if you do build a team with the 49ers, I would have multiple quarterbacks uh, with Brock Purdy. Final note, what I always notice is obviously the favorites to really advance. You're talking about your Chiefs. You're talking about your Bills. You're talking about your Eagles. Even their role players go way before the superstars on teams that probably will have first-round exits or aren't expected to make it out of the second round of the playoffs. And I'm talking about your Mike Evans. Like, here, this is a great example. Mike Evans is being drafted right next to Dawson Knox in a wide receiver slash tight end position, right? Um, You're talking about, you know, Travis Etienne with Isaiah McKenzie right next to each other, you know? So that's always something to keep in mind where you can really fill out and uh, fill out your roster in the wild card weekend really late in your drafts. And I would say invest early on in the team that you believe is going to make it far. And every draft is going to be different. So I wouldn't go into every single one saying, oh, I know the Chiefs are going to win the Super Bowl. So like, no, yeah, you can't do that. Right. If Mah- if you miss the Mahomes pick, then pivot on over to Jalen Hurts and then build out your stack of the Eagles and then so on and so forth with the Joe Burrow team. If you're stuck there with like the one Oh six, uh, Brian's asking, do you, do I prefer two, three or four team builds? Typically I'm on like three. What I'll typically do is like, I'll stack one team pretty heavily in the one conference and I'll have two stacks from the opposing conference and hope I can being, uh, myself, uh, all the way through there. Uh, two teams you can do. Um, it's a little bit trickier, but I think that like with the Bengals in particular or the Bills in particular, you can go with just another NFC ca- counterpart and call it a day. Um, what I don't want to see is like six or seven players from different teams. Like that to me is not the way to attack this thing. Basically, when you're drafting is based off of uh, who you've picked in round one, round two, you should be eliminating players that they're not on my draft list, does not matter, ADP does not matter at all, and I'm only focusing on players that are going to get me to the championship round mm. and the, the Super Bowl. The championship round, by the way, advances from uh, two out of the top 20 teams, depending on which tournament you're entering, are advancing. That's much harder to advance from compared to two out of six or like one out of six, depending on which the tournament is, in the first two rounds. So to me... You got to build a, a team that's going to look alive in the championship round and in the Super Bowl. So typically, right. I'm maxing out at four four uh, teams, and I'm trying to map out if this team wins, what's going to look like. Because uh, the NFL playoffs also reseed makes it a little more complicated. Something to help you all. Let's say you're building out an Eagle stack. You can just type in Eagles here. Yes, and use that cue and and use this instead of you know just searching for player names and stuff. Yep. Add them to the queue because, to, again, the biggest mind freak of all of this is where, um, like Kadarius Tony is going ahead of Tyree Kill coming right out of season yep. one, you know. But yep. it's because of what you just said, building for those final two rounds and trying to advance and win those. I do want to bring up there are multiple of these tournaments. We just brought up the Mitten Four, the Mitten Four five dollar entry with. $35,000 to first place, seventeen five hundred dollars to second place, so on and so forth. That's just a $5. So maybe dip your toe in the water doing that. And if you want to step it up, the gauntlet $25 entry with $200,000. Again, as Hayden said, that's nearly the same amount of money that the first best ball mania winner won all the way back two plus years ago. Before we got here. Like before we got here. And now you're just getting that in playoff best ball. Yeah. God's game. Um, I have all these uh, odds and team. Basically, I have for every single team, team that you should be stacking with, teams that you should not be stacking with. So after you make your first, second round picks, have my column open and you can kind of filter through, okay, I've drafted Justin Jefferson. That means I cannot take blank. 
or the inverse. I've drafted Josh Allen. That means I can take blank. And it's it's a game of just eliminating players using that cue. The the team in the search bar is uh, a little underrated secret. And if you've never played your first deposit, we match it up to one hundred dollars if you use promo code the show. All one word promo code the show. That's going to do it for us. We'll be back here on Thursday with another show. For Hayden, I am Josh. Thank you, everyone, in the chat. Talking to you, Scampers, Brian, Ait, Woke, and Victor, Drum Freak, all of you. Appreciate it. Up the Bella. We'll talk to you all soon. See ya. (laughs) 